HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Vertera Dinnerware. Learn more at vertera.com. That's V-E-R-T-E-R-R-A dot com. Time for Lunch is a new podcast from HRN for curious young eaters, where we focus on the serious questions. Aren't chickens tiny dinosaurs? We get to know our favorite foods in unexpected ways. We just like cheered like you would cheer for your classmate when they're round in second base in softball. And we just like, peach, 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 peach. Yay, thank you, peaches. Learn some new recipes and jokes. What does a boxer's mom put in his lunch? A knuckle sandwich. And load up on fun facts. Experts estimate that there are between one and 2,000 types of insects eaten around the world. So roll up your sleeves and dig in. Subscribe to Time for Lunch on your favorite podcast app so that you and your favorite young eater can catch up on the whole first season. New episodes of season two out each week. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live from the Lower East Side of Manhattan, Corona Time on the Heritage Radio Network. Joined, as usual, with Nastasia de Hammer Lopez in Stamford, Connecticut, by The Sound. How you doing, Stas? Yeah? Yeah? I didn't think I was going to have you on, so I'm, I'm glad. I feel like this is a bonus to have you on, because we, you know, I thought you weren't going to be on today, but that's great. We have, uh, as usual, John from uh, the Booker and Dax Customer Service Representative Extraordinaire. Mm-hmm. Uh, how you doing? Doing well, thank you. Uh, and a uh, special guest, uh, Ed Cornell from uh, Milk Cult. Milk Cult. Where does the word Milk Cult, like, in what sense cult? Like cult like Kool-Aid? Like cult like Jonestown? I mean, I would, there, I think there's a bunch of, like, much better things you could reference than both Kool-Aid and Jonestown, but, you know, you can go with that if you want. I mean, are you familiar with the fact that at Jonestown, the vast majority of the people actually were drinking Flavor-Aid because he was so cheap that he didn't want to buy the on-brand Kool-Aid? Well, of course. I mean, like in your final days, you do have to pinch pennies. But that's the exact opposite <laughs> time from when you pinch pennies. Like, if you know you're going out, Splurge? you buy the Kool-Aid. You don't buy the Flavor-Aid. That's why the, the Haley's co- uh, Comic guys got new kicks before they went out. Oh, yeah, they got outfits, true? they got new outfits, they got nice matching yeah. everything. They, you know. They found them with, like, matching Nikes on. Oh, know, yeah, I remember right? that. Yeah. Yeah, that was sad. Yeah, they were anyway, all sad. So not they were that, all sad. 
<laughs> so not that kind of cult. Uh, no, but you know, like you know, ice cream cult, you know, obsession, and more uh, like cult, like cult film. Yeah, I mean both. You know, yeah. it's like. All right. How long have you been doing the milk cult in DC? Uh, I've been doing it about between seven and eight years. Um, yeah, so I've been doing it about seven, eight years, and uh, I actually started doing it about a year after I started listening to cooking issues. I was. I was living in um, Indonesia and kind of like listening to cooking issues every week. I think it was like right of the first or second year you guys started and then moved back to D.C. And I was working in construction and food and restaurants and then started doing this as like a side thing and then started doing it full time. Well, what kind of construction did you do? I did home renovations for a bunch of years, um, but then and like I, well, I was a general handyman for a bunch of years when I was in college and then home renovations and then doing restaurant build outs. So in, in, everyone has their least favorite things when it comes to doing renovations. What's yours? Um, my least favorite thing is probably electrical because I can do enough of it to actually say yes to it, but then it just takes me so long that it, um, it ends up not being worth it. You know, like plumbing, like I'll either say yes and do a good job or just completely outsource it. But I think over the years, you know, taking electrical work was just like, yeah, cool. Uh, you know, it's like you you want to say yes, but then you just get yourself into a job that you just sort of should have subcontracted out. Yeah, I hate doing sheetrock. Oh, I, I mean, it. once you do enough of it, you can just rock it out. I mean, yeah, I mean, There's I hate nothing doing I like it, but like it. I don't you like, get good at it. I don't it, like lifting those panels it. up. I don't like cutting the holes in the sheetrock. I don't like I don't like taping it. I don't like spackling it. I hate sanding it. I hate th- I hate taping tarps up to catch all the dust from the sheetrock. I hate doing sheetrock. I'm like, like wait, that was wait the- hold on, but wait, I'm like, why are you sanding sheetrock? Not only is that gonna give you lung cancer, but you're just not supposed to sand sheetrock. No, no, no. Where you put the plaster up? Like you? Oh, like, gotcha, gotcha. I'm not. Good no, I'm thinking enough, of Duroc. So put- Sorry, I'm thinking of Duroc. Oh, yeah, yeah, no. So, like, I put up the sheetrock, I tape it, I put that little line of the thing, and I always put in too much uh, compound there. And so I have to sand it, and there's dust everywhere. I hate it. I hate it. I really do. Putting up ceiling ceiling sheetrock is the worst. I also hate any renovation of old paint crap where you can't take everything off and you have to paint that, that pink stuff on, that, like, that, like, plaster weld stuff. Oh, my God. Anyway... Uh, enough of this. Uh, we'll come back to all of these great things in a minute. Uh, we want to get a couple of things out of the way. So Nastasia, like, uh, often says she doesn't have any, like, new, uh, food news to report. However, I consider what you did a couple of weeks ago food news. You, uh, you did, you were living the, you were living the coastal dream there. Yeah, I had Alexa, my friends Alexis and Reed over, and Reed is an avid fisherman, and he um, used your poles, Dave, the ones that you have here. It's actually Dax's pole, Dax. but yeah. yeah. Um, and he caught a couple um, corgis, I guess, and then we were eating those, and the, and the fishing line was in the water while we were having dinner outside, and then all of a sudden it started really pulling, and so he jumped up. And start and reeled it in, and it was a it was a twenty eight inch um, bass. Just what's the key? What's the keeper zone right now? Do you even know? I don't really. I don't know. Twenty seven and thirty two, I think. 
because every year it's different. Yeah. You know what I mean? Depending on what the stocks are like, what the keeper length is. Yeah. But strong, strong move, right in the sound, big striper. And you, you say you just filleted that sucker and ate it, right? Yeah, right off my porch too, which is like so crazy. It was so crazy. I've never seen so, a fish caught or eaten one like that before. My stepfather, the reason that rod's at your place is because Dax had expressed some interest in fishing. And my stepfather, the only things he likes, like wine, cigars, fishing, and being alone during the time of COVID. Because he, he only ever fishes alone. He gets up at like zero in the morning and he only, he does exclusively surf casting, doesn't like going out on boats. So you were living kind of like the best life Gerard could, my stepfather, could hope to live outside of the Cape. So yeah. nice. Yeah. 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 How'd it taste? Good. Great. Yeah. Um. It's cool to be able to cast from your porch. Were you up high or were you on the ground level? Up high. Like, not that high, but like three feet above the water, maybe. But like, you weren't on your second level. Though, no, right? no, you no, 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 no. Because you couldn't get back to cast. You would be hitting the back of your, of your like, fake light. Then it's you, not a fake lighthouse. That's not a right. It's, it's not a lighthouse building, but you would imagine it would be a lighthouse. You'd have building. to, like, go inside to reel it in. That'd be weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be no good. No. It wouldn't work. Anyway, very cool. Uh, very cool, very cool. All right, now, Wait, Ed. bar thing. What? You're going to talk about the bar thing real quick. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So, Ed and John, feel free to weigh in. And, in fact, John knows more about this story than I do because he had the heart to read my email about it, and I didn't. But, so, Ed, do you have any outdoor seating right now with the milk coat? No. So, we don't do any retail. We do ice cream for a bunch of restaurants here. So, a bunch of our restaurants have closed and some have reopened, but there is limited outdoor seating in DC right now. Are you, but are you selling, like, are you, in other words, are you, you're not doing any sort of home delivery to make up for the lack of restaurant business or? We've done some, like, like there was a few weeks where we did some, we did like a bunch for charity. There was this Bakers Against Racism thing that we participated in and do delivery. But like, we've, I mean, we've tried to shut down as much interaction stuff as possible. Like we're just, cause it was bad here about a month ago. So we've just erred on the side of limiting stuff. Well, so where are you now with that? Oh, I mean, we're just still like, you know, most of our restaurant customers are shut down. So we're just doing our grocery wholesale business with like a few restaurant customers left and almost no deliveries right now. But has the, have the groceries made up for the lack of restaurants? Yeah, we I mean, we had a significant jump this year anyways, but like our typical April sales were like three times what they were last year in grocery channels. Um, and so the fact that the restaurants went to almost zero was like, it, like it didn't affect because the groceries were so far up. Yeah. But like, we're, I mean, there's very few other businesses that are like ours in that. So it's like, I mean, it was, it happened to be beneficial for us, but like, we're very, we're the, one of the very few people who are in that situation. Right. Cause I know some people who, I don't know them personally, but like I use them like mm -hmm. people who are wholesale only and who, like they don't really distribute to in other words they're they're restaurant distributors only and they're hosed you know what i mean oh, so they yeah. have, yeah, there's, a, there's so, a couple couple people down here in dc who are that and they have essentially shut the doors of their business until further notice well i know some of them like i know some of our suppliers up here now do deliver to home so you like and what's funny is is that they only chefs know to buy from them so because you know like they're the only 
So like I know like uh, Baldor, Baldor ships. Yeah, yeah. Baldor yeah. opened up for home delivery down here as well. Um, but I mean, I don't know like I don't know how whether that's actually doing anything for them. Um, whatever the Japanese supplier, what is it? MTC, whatever that we're forget the name of it. The, but like where we get the Ishiri, they're doing home stuff. At the very least, they're at least moving product that would have spoiled. At the very least. Yeah. Yeah. So, but for someone who has an actual grocery store distribution, you're saying it's, it's, it's workable. Yeah. Because we are, we're in like about a hundred Whole Foods between Ohio and Connecticut and DC. And like, that's probably the bulk of our single channel sales. What kind of a pain in the butt is that to deal with the Whole Foods? You don't have to say. I tell you what, I tell you what, because we go through a distributor, I just, I almost never talk to them except unless they ask us for something. And I just take a really, really big hit, but do volume, so I don't ask myself a lot of questions. So presumably, though, you have to have like the, the hyper-clean labels. Like you, There's probably stuff you can't use that you would like yes. to use, but you can't because of their dumb label rules. I'm not yeah, saying they're I mean, dumb, but they're stupid. It's not, it's, it, they're arbitrary, is what I'll say. Some of them are arbitrary. Some of them make a lot of sense, but some of them are very arbitrary, and I've been working within that framework for the past four or five years anyways, so you know what? Like, I just, It's just a cost of doing business. Yeah, yeah. Nastasia and I haven't dealt with them since they got bought, right, Stas? All the stuff we did was pre-Amazon. Yeah. Can you imagine having to deal with a combination <laughs> of Whole Foods and Amazon? Oh, yeah. We would just become, we should just become an Amazon employees at that point, you know? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. Yeah, Nastasia and I almost for, for a minute, we almost had a soda business and we almost had a snack food business. And then we just, I forget, we were just like sitting in that, in that kind of like Eldritch Street hellhole and we just kind of looked at each other and we're just like, nah, <laughs> right? Yeah. Do it all. Yeah. Yeah. We like, like, we looked out how many years we would have to like do stuff that we weren't interested in at all. And then be like, at the end of that, we had like a 30% chance of, of doing well. And we're like, nah, right? Isn't that how it happened? Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. not going to make us any money for like, yeah, a long time. Yeah, years and years and years. Like, oh, you yeah. have to, like, because in the snack food business, it's not like one or two widgets you need to sell. It's like a jillion widgets and like good, good luck co packing on snacks. So, for those of you that don't know, when you come up with an idea, and unless you're big, you have to then convince somebody else to make it for you because you don't have a million dollars to buy all of the extruders and all of that. You don't have the, the trucking, the warehousing, you don't have the, uh, the, um, the fill pack, you know, the, the way and fill packaging with the, with the plastic sleeves that can, you know, purge. With, you don't own any of that stuff, and neither can you. And so you have to find someone else who's willing to package your stuff to your specifications. Then you have to jump through the hoops of getting your labels right for someone like a Whole Foods if that's the route you're going to go. And Estas and I were just like, the hell with this, right? I mean, yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah, I work with a bunch of people who are in that position. And like my friend Katie, she used to be, she used to work at Roberta's and Blanca. And she's started co-packing in New Jersey, like a, like a plant-based and plant-based food stuff. I'll shout her out here, Keats Co. And um, she just transferred to a co-packer in New Jersey. And like, yeah, she has to do an insane amount of numbers before anything comes around. Yeah. And it's just a, it's a daily slog with that stuff. You know what I mean? And then... Yeah, it's an insane number of numbers. I remember once we uh, 
we found a co-packer. I don't know if you remember this, Nastasia. We found a co-packer who would kind of do what we want. And the other thing is that, like, for us, like, we were doing stuff that wasn't exactly like what everyone else was doing, obviously, because that's the kind of idiots that we always are. Uh, I'll, I'll try to find it before the episode is up, but uh, Jack Schramm, uh, Existing Conditions Jack Schramm, said that my memoir should be uh, titled, like, uh, the, the Best Thing No One Asked For. Right. Because like we make these things that are things that no one has asked for and we try to do as good a job as we can at it. But if you make something that no one's asked for before, it's a pain in the butt. So anyway, we found this person to make the stuff. But then remember this? He's like, I can't even turn the equipment off and on for less than two tractor trailers full of stuff. And again, that would have like like quadrupled the amount of physical space that we had rented in New York. It was a nightmare. Nightmare. You know what I mean? Where do you guys make your stuff? We manufacture out of uh, like a like a shared kitchen space. Like we have our own pod of freezers and equipment, and we use offsite um, storage for freezer storage. So we have like somebody a contractor come and pick up pallets of our product and take it to a distributor warehouse, which is in like there's one in New Jersey and there's one in Frederick that we use. Um, but we manufacture everything from end to end ourselves, which is both really dumb and really awesome. <laughs> yeah. and, and you're, but your batch or your continuous batch. We don't have the size to. We might be continuous in like two years, but like right now, like we just don't have that volume to justify continuous because it just like but how do mix-ins like and stuff work? Five hundred gallons at a time. Right. How, but how, like in other words, like how much would you have to change your flavors and your styles if you went to continuous? A lot or not a lot? N- I don't think so. I don't think a lot because, you know, continuous technology is gotten a lot better, you know, like continuous technology is probably just about as good as batch freezer technology right now. And, you know, it's expensive, but like, um, even with variegans and everything, like you're pretty much going to get the same product from continuous and batch freezers at this point, maybe not 20, 25 years ago, but, um, they're good now, you know. And, And what's your batch size? Batch size? We, so right now, like our wholesale, we, me and my business partner, we will produce, pack and wrap like 2000 ice cream sandwiches by hand over the course of two days. Well, that sucks. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure your, your, your next nickel is going to go towards making that thing being wrapped not by hand. Oh yeah, we've looked at a flow wrapper. Like like today after this, I'm just gonna we're just gonna go downstairs and package ice cream sandwiches for five hours straight. So are you in a parka inside of like a 20 degree Fahrenheit room? Like what what are you what are you in? How are you wrapping oh, these things? We actually so we we do we have like a really good system of going in and out of hardening cabinets and blast freezers where we get no product melt. But it took us years to figure that out. So. We're going like, we basically have like a really good routine where we hold stuff overnight in a hardening cabinet. And then so once it's cut and taken out, it's like at negative 20 degrees. So it can sit out for two minutes while we pack and then throw the finished product packaged back into a hardening cabinet. Uh, so it's been a while since Nastasia and I have had any of your ice cream sandwiches, but what, what, so refresh me on what kind of technology, thin, thin, thin cookie, like so, bendable, like. One is a really basic vanilla ice cream on a chocolate chip cookie, like basically our version of a little bit better chip witch, but like a saltier, saltier square chip witch, but like not too big, but it's like, you know, it's reasonably priced, like $3.50. And then we do 
an avocado um, ice cream base with a chocolate wafer cookie, which is kind of, I mean, it's based on an Indonesian um, uh, apricot chocolate drink, but I mean, it's an ice cream sandwich. And then we're rolling out two new products this year, which are essentially like small, which are essentially our small versions of Klondike bars. Mm, what would you do for a Klondike bar? Exactly. Yeah. Dave, are you I'm back big... to your story about the bar? Or... Well, let's finish this. Do you like Klondike bars, Nastasia? Is that your favorite ice cream? I like ice cream sandwiches. Do you like Klondike's better or ice cream sandwiches better? Ice cream sandwiches. Yeah, yeah. Now, when you make these ice cream sandwiches, are you are you doing Carvel style? Are you softing it onto the thing and then squishing it? Or are you, like, say, cutting blanks and then layering hardened blanks together? Carvel style. So we go out of a batch freezer into half sheets of cookies and then let them sit overnight and harden in a hardening cabinet and then cut them up. We used to do the other way and it just, um, it just, it doesn't get the moisture, you know, moisture management, right? Like essentially, because our goal is to have a cookie that breaks with your bite. And, you know, if you harden and then pack together, um, then the moisture transfer won't get a nice soft cookie. Mm-hmm. And I had one more thing, but Nastasia threw. All right, we'll tell the story, and then maybe I'll think of it. Oh yeah, what size? What's wait? What size is your batch freezer though? How many? How many gallons are? At, what do you? What do you measure in? Are you measuring in liters, quarts? What are you measuring? Uh, quarts. We use in Carpajani LB five hundred two, and we do like an anywhere from like four to sixteen quart batch. And so for a production so how, run, how long we'll is run that? Like, 60 to 120 quarts over the course of a day. But like a 16-quart batch is... A 16-quart batch is how many minutes on the freeze time? Oh, it's pretty short. I want to say it's like... if it, I mean, depending on air temperature, it's like anywhere from like 8 to 14 minutes, you know. Dang. That's a lot of power. Yeah. A bit, ours a is a water-cooled power. model, so it uh, runs a little bit faster than the air-cooled. Yeah. They only, I owned a water-cooled uh, soft-serve machine once. I had to hook it up to my bathtub. It was a nightmare. It was a complete nightmare. Anyway, all right, all right so here's the story. So, you know, see what you think. And, John, fill me in when I'm wrong, okay? All right. So, Nastasia and I, occasionally, when we're on the West 4th Street, New York City subway stop, which runs along 6th Avenue. So, for those of you who have never been to New York, you can't picture this, but it's kind of a it's like tourists are there, students are there. It's kind of garbage, right, Stas? Yeah. I mean, it's where my bar is. I love it. It's great. Like, you know, I've been going there, like, my whole life, but it's not like, it's not like what people think of when they think of, like, great New York. Am I right? Yes. Yeah. It does have a great dollar slice, which I've spoken about at length uh, before, so, you know, I won't get into it again. But, um... There is, like, every city, every place, every area within a city has, like, scammers who have their own, like, scams, right? So, like, you know, uh, when I used to live uptown, there was the I don't have the money for gas for home scam guy, right? Uh, But here, there's a scam that, Nastasia, you said you had seen before, right? I was with you. No, no, before, like, before that. I haven't seen that exact scam, but similar. So, like... The first time we saw it, Nastasia saw it happen, which was like, scam. So, like, we're walking down the street, and it's crazy-looking dude and crazy-looking woman, right? Which is, like, a, like a technical... T- In other words, like, they look like something's up, right? Is that a fair thing to say, Nastasia? Yeah. They look like... Yeah. Kind of like junkies, actually. 
Yeah. So, yes. I don't know anything about their lives other than what we're about to tell you. So what they do is, is I think it's the guy, right, has with them some sort of terrible, like, like, uh, like you know that aluminum pan that, a, that like a Greek salad used to come in or like when you got like a, a takeout lasagna in an aluminum foil, like Megilla with the, with the plastic thing with the crimp edges. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So... Walking down the street with one of these, clearly half-eaten, clearly, like, found somewhere, right? And then dude will bump into someone who oh, looks yeah. young or <laughs> studenty or touristy or otherwise with money and will very visibly make sure that the, that the food falls to the ground. Classic. Yeah, yeah. And then... Like, they start yelling at the mark about, I paid $8 for my lunch and blah. You know what I mean? And so, like, trying to get money out of this person. And Nastasia wanted to, like, go over there and, and give them a piece of her mind. Did you not? I think I told the, the guy that they were scamming it's a scam as we walked past it. Oh, my God. That's right. Now I remember. Nastasia walks by and, like, and this is one of the things I love most about you, Nastasia. Right. It's like at the box when you were screaming how much you were like hating what they were doing at the box. Nastasia will just she's not you don't let leave it inside. Right. You're just like, it's a scam. It's a scam. Remember? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Don't pay them. It's a scam. Yeah. And I was like, love you, Stas. Love you. You know what I mean? And so then we went, went to the bar. But get this, Stas. That. Dude did it to our bar, to our outdoor seating. He walked up to existing conditions. And by the way, you can go to existing conditions now. And today we're installing a tent. So you're not even going to get rained on or sunned on when you're outside unless you want to be. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven outdoor tables, all socially distanced. And hey, Cuomo, that's our governor here. We actually enforce social distancing even though we're a bar. If you want to regulate social distancing, regulate social distancing. Don't regulate what, how much food I need to serve you when you're coming to the bar. Anyway, side point. Sorry. Not a political show. Sorry. Love Cuomo. Love the sausage and pep. You might disagree with me on this, but I, I respect a good scam. If I see a good scam going on, I would not interrupt and I would just tip my hat and if somebody has a good scam oh. going, I tip my hat to them because they're just, you know, they're out there, you know, people are going to get taken advantage of, you know, as well, long as it's not too here's egregious. Here's why I'm going to gut this dude if I ever see him again. He wa- This is egregious. He walked up to our place, to the place where people are trying to freaking socially distance, trying to have some sense of freaking normalcy during COVID time. Right. They don't have their masks on because they're drinking and they're sitting at a table with a cocoon around them. Like we've literally built like a planter around them to shield them from this. Walks in, does a salad trick to someone in our space because we have to have a sidewalk cut through like you're legally you have to have an eight foot sidewalk cut through through it. Right. Goes through the whole drop my salad spiel. Gets rebuffed by Jack Schramm. Is like, get out of here, you scam artist scumbag. <laughs> Jack doesn't talk like that. He's been on the show, so you can go to hear what he actually sounds like. The guy then flips out, de-social distances everyone by approaching everyone, and then rips all of our plants out of our planters and throws them on the ground. <laughs> well, that's a, little, that's a little much. That's egregious. That definitely falls in the egregious category. Any messing of somebody else's business is egregious. Going to any one of my guests... 
and and messing with them at all makes me really, 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 really want bad Did things to happen. They try to stop him from ripping the plants out. What were they doing when he was ripping the plants out? What are you going to do? Like, first of all, like, you know, my bar is very anti calling the police on people, right? <clears throat> and, yeah. and, you know, we're also, you know, what are you going to do? Like, you also don't want to approach an unmasked, crazy, as you put it, Nastasia, person who looks like they have other issues other than the salad they've just thrown on the ground, mm-hmm. right? I mean, like, what's the right answer? Were the plants edible? He might have just been trying to pick a new salad. Yeah, no. And yeah, they were not, I think, like actively poisonous, but they were <laughs> some time. sort some sort of tropical or semi-tropical monocot leafy plant, uh, inedible variety. <laughs> All right. And uh, I just want to, like, what the hell, man? Like, like it's not hard enough already that I got to deal with your, with, you know, do your, do your scam, like, to them after they leave. You know what I mean? On the street. I don't know. I don't even know how that scam plausibly works when your marks are seated. How do they bump into them when they're seated? I think it was they were getting their drink and coming back to their table because the way it's set up is that we're not doing table service. Like you go up and it's like it's like it's like an old bank teller. So we have like the giant spit guard and the drink comes underneath the spit guard or like the way that like those weird post offices from the 80s work. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's like one of those things. And so I think that they were coming back with their drink and it happened. And I'm sure that that person probably, I'm sure that the dude probably spilled the person's drink as well. John, was that listed in there or no? That was not listed in there. I didn't see that. But am I getting this pretty accurately? Yeah, yeah. So far, spot on. Oh my God. I just hate it so much. Although here's a scam, Ed, that you might enjoy. Uh, In the early 80s, a friend of mine who lived in the uh, East Village uh, would whenever he would do outdoor dining, there was a guy on his block, early '80s, who used to uh, poop his pants, and he would make sure to poop his pants and like keep them real poopy, so that he was a uh, a malodorous like miasma of stench at any given time of bo and poop and general filth. And what he would do is come right up next to people who were trying to sit outdoors and eat and stay there until everyone would go into their pockets and give him the cash to leave. So what do you think of that scam? I mean, it's effective. (laughs) Again, I think it's just not... It's like, what's the difference between... Doesn't make it okay. What's the difference between that? I mean, like, I'd almost have more respect if they did it mafia style and they just approached the the owner of the restaurant before service and were like, listen, I am going to make it a living hell for your guests such that they will never come back to your business again and you're never going to be able to have any locals and everyone's going to say that it's a nightmare going to your place or you could just give me uh, like 25 bucks right now for the day. Protection against my smell, right? <laughs> At least that would be some sort of like, kind of like, has some sort of There's negotiation happening. It's it. not, there's not a yeah. hostage taken. It's negotiation. Right. Right. I mean, it's still wrong. I don't like any form of extortion, but it's like, I don't know. What do you think, Stas? Yeah, I think it's awful. Awful. Yeah. yeah. I have a scam. I would love to scam story. All right. I would love to be with Nastasi when that happened, though. A friend of mine used to represent um, the Subway Corporation in all their slip and fall cases, and they had like a nice routine of 
people who would always come into these subway locations and slip and fall and sue subway because they knew at the very bottom rate they were going to get 5k for their first slip and fall and then like two thousand dollars for every slip and fall after that until they hit like a number because uh the franchisees were all protected by subway corporate they were they were knew that if they went into a subway a sandwich shop that they slipped and fell doesn't matter how it happened they knew they were going to get a certain amount of money so like what's the number do you know what the number was oh i think they were getting 5k on their first slip and fall and then like two twenty five hundred for the next two after that and then after how you have like three a, i think you get like three and then judges after that wouldn't they wouldn't even hear the cases afterwards so stas worth it no that is terrible that's no, no, I'm saying like, but like in, in this, would you do a slip and fall for, let's no. say you really needed the money. No? No. no. How much? Uh, <laughs> I just, I wouldn't do it. It's, it's embarrassing. That's embarrassing. Okay. So like, it's not like the classic Nastasia million dollars on this one? No, I, you know, we like doing like more insane stuff for, yeah. And and as I always said, I'll do it for free. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? How much will you pay me to fall? Anyway, uh, all right, let's answer some questions. Actually, Ed, we have a question coming up that uh, that you might uh, have some uh, good, good info on. And I will say things and you will tell me I am wrong or not. Uh, not this one, though. This episode is brought to you by Vertera. Impressively versatile, stylishly sustainable, environmentally disposable dinnerware from Fallen Leaves. Vertera is a mission-driven company focused on making environmentally responsible single-use products. Founded in 2006 on the belief that every culinary creation deserves a beautiful, sustainably crafted foundation. Vertera reclaims earthly discards like fallen leaves and tree scraps to design elegant, disposable dinnerware that elevates the look of food presentation. In short, a beautiful disposable plate that can go with your food to a composting facility. The team from Vertera recently made a huge pivot with their factories and started producing masks, gloves, sanitizer, and other PPE that food businesses need to safely reopen. Learn more at Vertera.com. That's V-E-R-T-E-R-R-A.com. Trevor, I, don't know, I thought we mentioned this last week, but I don't know. Trevor wrote in and said, in 2015, uh, I said that tilapia is best cooked in a garbage can. Does this method still hold up? If you were going to cook tilapia at all, yes, a garbage can is as good a method as any. And by that, by that, I mean throw it in the garbage and eat something else. However, I'm sure you could make some sort of like... Uh, Nastasia, do you remember when uh, we did the Anthony Bourdain show and we made a tandoor out of a garbage can yeah. and a flower pot? yeah. Yeah. So that would be another good way. Tilapia is fine if you don't actually want to taste the fish. If like, if you're going to like, let's say you, you were going to, okay, do you like a Nastasia or anyone? Do you like that taco, that pre-made taco seasoning stuff? Yes. Yeah, I do as well. I like it as well. I'm going to go ahead and say, I like it as well. We have it in our house because Dax enjoys that flavor. I have compounded my own and Dax is like, just use the taco seasoning. Sorry, I sound like fine. You know what I made with taco season the other day? This is off topic. Uh, when Corona hit, we went out and bought a bunch of frozen veg, and that frozen veg has been sitting on our freezer, like kind of not used. Uh, and so I was like, you know what? What the hell? So like we had a bunch of cut okra. I think it was the only thing they had left, right? Cut okra, frozen. Toss that sucker, 
salt, pepper, a little bit of taco seasoning, oil, onion, and a couple of tomatoes, and uh, throw that in at like 450 for like 35, 40 minutes, good. Not so much that it tastes like taco, just a little bit. What do you think of that? Sounds great. No one cares. No one cares. It's good. Uh, and it's not too, uh, it's not too uh, slimy. Stas, what are your feelings on okra? Uh, I don't really like it that much. Because of the snot or just other reasons? Snot. What about fried okra, okra like, like crispy yeah, fried? Where that's right. What? That's fine. Yeah. Okay. That's anyway, so back to the tilapia. So if you're going to take and drench something in taco seasoning, which is how we got onto this, and then you're going to shred it up into tiny pieces, and you're going to use, like, you're going to put it into a taco with, like, lettuce and all this other stuff. You're going to make fish tacos. At that point, do you really care what the fish tastes like? You're not tasting the fish anyway. You know what I mean? Then it's fine. In which case, you should cook it in your garbage can tandoor. Not that tan... I love tandoors. I don't mean that tandoors are garbage cans. What I'm saying is, is that Nastasia and I made one out of a garbage can and some flower pots, and it worked quite well. I'm ashamed to say there was one restaurant I worked at um, where I was working the line, and we had uh, fish tacos, and on the menu we put them as red snapper tacos, but we really just gave them tilapia. Oh, so my. Very sleazy. Oh, my. Yeah. That's bad, dude. Yeah, and charged them red snapper prices, obviously. Oh, my God. Terrible. Yeah, it was really messed up. John, that's beyond. Yeah. That's freaking dishonorable. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I'd agree. Like, I will take being a bad person before (laughs) I'll take being dishonorable. Yeah. Right? Stas, you know me. I'd rather be bad than dishonorable. No one was like, wow, this is not good. They were just like, yes, chef. I mean, we all, you know, told the chef that we thought it wasn't the right thing, or, you know, me and the two other guys working there told him that we thought it was kind of a trash thing to do, um, but he didn't really care. He wanted to keep his food cost down. Wow. And this was the kind of chef who, like, the whole time while we're all prepping and, like, getting ready for service, he was out on his computer, like, in the dining room doing who knows what, but definitely not anything helpful to the kitchen. It was a little frustrating. Listen, I'm going to go ahead and say people never do that. That is the worst. Even at home, don't do that. Yep. Like, like that's why Like, I have a couple of lines. Uh, just a couple, right? One is, like, I don't tell somebody something's vegetarian when it's not. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't lie to people about what they put into their bodies and what you cook. It's crazy. And unless Nastasia's playing a practical joke on a close friend, I don't think you do either, right? No. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> That, then they're not paying for it. They're paying for it in farts and funny, but they're not paying money. This guy, this same chef had also told me at one of the old other places he worked, he did like a lobster ravioli, but he really just put shrimp in there. Oh, sorry. Wow, uh, Matt, Matt, <laughs> Matt, I mean, while you are correct. Wow. And that is, That's a first. as I have said, as I have said, one of the great words in the English language, and I hope I never have to stop using it. Because of the two Ks, right, Stas? Doesn't it sound great? Yes. Remember when I called a cop that? Oh, yeah, I do. I do. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, you called him the real one, and then you switched it to COP, right? Yeah. Like, on the fly. Yeah. You came up with it on the fly. Yeah. yeah. You're a sucker, cop, cop. <laughs> That's what you say. Like, yeah. you, you literally, didn't he literally say, what did you say? And you pulled that out? And I said, cop, sucker. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's stuff for you. Uh, anyways, that is incredible. I'm still, I'm still, 
taken aback. Yeah. Anyway, but just goes to show, snapper, red snapper, delicious fish, uh, tilapia, not, and when you taco-fy them, who can tell? Right? Yep. I mean, you're dumping enough acid and whatnot on that you're not going to get, if there is any, um, you know, kind of dirty flavor on the tilapia, it's going to get covered up and, like, you know, chemically leveled out by the lime juice anyways. So, yeah, yeah, terrible, terrible people. You know what you should do? Tilapia and something else that tastes like dirt, like beets. Like, what if we did a tilapia beet thing, Stubbs? bad. Really bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh... All right, we, we did Devin Patel's uh, thing last week at the end of it, right? Yes. Didn't we? Yeah, we did. Yes, yeah. we did. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. So, Timothy Helmuth wrote in via email, and Ed, uh, I would like you to weigh in on this, because I don't think we discussed this. I have some very, uh, you know, clear thoughts on it. Let's see what you think. Hey, Cooking Issues crew, do you have any suggestions for improving the texture of popsicles made in a home freezer? Now, Ed, home. Home freezer. I've been mostly uh, been blending various fruits with a bit of dextrose and sucrose syrup. Um, flavors are, by the way, when you say dextrose syrup, what do you really mean? No one actually has dextrose syrup. They have this stuff that is like, has a dextrose equivalent, but it's, uh, we, uh, we'll get into it later. Uh, flavors are, why doesn't people who sell that stuff, why don't they just write the DE equivalent on it? You know what I mean? Like, and don't you find this frustrating when you're buying this kind of stuff? Like, like, like these syrups, they're all different. They perform differently. So unless you know the brand, the DE equivalent, yeah. everything about it. Like- I stopped. I stopped. I, we make our own syrups. So, like, I stopped buying, besides buying straight powders, like, I just stopped buying everybody else's syrups because they won't, like, they, they, like they're, they won't show you how to use it. Like, they just don't label, label it properly. Yeah. Irritant. Irritant. Uh, and sucrose syrup. The flip back to popsicles. The flavors are great, but everything turns pretty turns out pretty crunchy with big ice crystals. If I bump the sweetness way up, they freeze smoother, but not solid enough. Uh, I know a better freezer would help, but that's not an option for me. Unfortunately, uh, not an option for me. Unfortunately, I've considered uh, ordering some isomalt, which I think would help the texture while keeping the sweetness down. Yeah, but it's not going to help you because it's still still not going to get solid. If you isomalt the hell out of it, it won't be sweet, but it also if you should, whatever. Your thoughts uh, on that idea and any other suggestions would be much appreciated. Thanks for continuing making the show, uh, Timothy. So do you want to hit yeah. at this? You want me to hit at this and yeah, you yeah, comment? Yeah. What do you want? It, right, hit I on. mean, the easiest thing to do is to just pack your freezer beforehand with as much product of, as possible the night before so that your freezer's carrying capacity is like super, super high. And then just do a salt. If you can put your pops... If they're in a metal container, that's best, but put them in a salt ice bath in the freezer so the melting the melting ice will just super rapidly freeze the pops. That's the cheapest and easiest way to do it. That's correct. And because think about I want you to think about it this way, Timothy. As you freeze slowly, right? Let's say let's say you started slowly, you get one ice crystal grows and then it starts to grow. That thing's gonna grow as pure ice. And what's gonna happen is, is that imagine like freezing orange juice the way that you did when you were a kid. 
is you have one section that's almost all ice with very little flavor inclusions, and then it's more and more concentrated as you go in towards the center of the, of the ice cube. And that's exactly what's gonna happen. If you don't freeze rapidly, you're gonna get large water crystals and they're going to segregate a relatively syrupy section. And that syrupy section won't even be homogenous throughout the, the whole thing. So it's gonna be bad. Do you agree with this, Ed? Yeah. Yeah. So rapid freezing is going to be one of your first answers. Now, you can also, uh, so sugar, right, is, uh, I mean, I don't actually, no, sugar a little lower. Another thing you can do is you can do the Jell-O brand pudding pop technique of pre-light uh, gelling your stuff. It, it won't melt down. If, if melting down is important to you, it won't melt down as much. But um, if you physically segregate the flavors and liquids into a light gel, then as it freezes, it will tend to stay relatively homogenous and freeze in place. And the crystals will tend to be smaller as well. Um, what, do you what do you think about that suggestion? Hate it? Like it? I like it. They could also add more dissolved solids to their recipe. I mean, if they want to incorporate, like, if they're vegan, if they want to incorporate pea protein or something. Like, I know that a lot of popsicle makers right now are using pea protein, and it's, you know, it's fairly neutral and, like, not going to bug a lot of people. Um, or if they want to just stabilize it in the blender, I mean, there's plenty of things that they can, you know, whatever stabilizer they prefer, whether, I don't really like xanthan, but, like, I don't know, guar will work pretty well for what they're doing and it's pretty neutral um or just or just more dissolved solids and also they're not doing it commercially they're doing it at home yeah so like the Such cost doesn't matter right i mean like they could make a light fluid gel if they wanted they could do it like a light agar fluid gel or better yet a light uh what's it called a gel and fluid gel right and then you know and if you're only doing it like once in a while and you're doing it at home you know seems like it's not that wouldn't be that difficult to do it or that expensive to you know to do as one-offs uh one-offs at home um so anyway that's what i mean the problem with adding so many solids is is it's never going to get as hard as he as he wants it you know what i mean if you increase the sugar level or the dissolved solids like he wanted to with isomalt or one of these other things you you know it's it's if you actually decrease decrease the uh the freezing point of it enough, then the, the, you're, you're going to get. It's not going to freeze as hard, wouldn't you think? Yeah, but I don't. I don't think it's going to be a, that extreme of a. Um, they're adding. They're going to be adding that much, though. I mean, just like start off with a little bit and see if it helps. Kind of that situation. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. Tom Cote wrote in, uh, has been listening to our milling and stuff. By the way, we're going to do another milling show soon, but Tom wanted to do a shout out to uh, New American Stone Mills and uh, Elmore Mountain uh, Bread because they make their own old-fashioned... I'm not old going to be here for that show. On purpose, really? You can't tolerate it? Can't tolerate it. I won't. Can't tolerate bread? You actually like bread, I though. do like bread. You still... I mean, like... All right, Whatever. Uh, we're going to have like the, the world's fo foremost scientific authority on, uh, whole wheat, uh, bread and milling, but Nastasi does not want to participate. All right. Her choice. Um, anyway, uh, Ronaldo wrote in, Ronaldo Fori wrote in, uh, hello, I'm a distiller at a small distillery in South Africa and I came across your, oh wait, am I even supposed to talk about this? All right. We'll talk about it. 
Um, and I came across your projects while uh, looking at the Harvard Food Science course. Uh, I have a vacuum distillation setup at home, a Rotovap, that I built from scratch. Uh, well, kudos to you. It works quite well, but I was wondering if you can provide more info about the peristaltic pump you use on the distillate side. Any guidance or information would be of great help. Thanks in advance, Ronaldo. So, Nastasia, how should I deal with this? Since you know that everybody hates it when I go down a rabbit hole on peristaltic pumps. How should we handle this in general? Should we eventually do something like we did uh, for uh, the carbonation yeah. thing? Yes. Yo, John, are people liking that carbonation video or what? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the people who want it are liking it. Yes. And then the people who don't want to hear 45 minutes about the intricacies of carbonation rigs don't have to hear it. They're lost. So it's a, I mean, I don't know. You should watch the video, know. Matt, and then, yeah, say that. Again. <laughs> and then come back. I just, I, no, no, no. I loop it during the day. It's like yeah. my wife. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Just the, the rant on tubes. I think if you. If you could just condense that video to the, the 15 second rant on tubes where I, I lose my mind about PVC tubing with uh, seltzer water, like that's pretty much the, the whole thing. Or the actual legitimate, no acting, pure joy of that first glass of seltzer at the end. Who, you could edit that thing down to like five who seconds. Who filmed it? <laughs> Dax. So if, if you say anything bad about it, you're saying something bad about my son and we'll fight. <laughs> I just wanted to know how to sit through it. No, not sitting, standing. Oh, my God. It was also, Stas, it was such a nightmare. Uh, the two videos he shot, we hadn't set anything up, but, like, I just needed to get it done, and it was COVID time. So, like, the poor kid, like, whenever he had to shoot down, I was making him stand on a chair and hold the camera over things. And he's like, Dad, my arm. And I'm like, shut up! <laughs> hold it up there! You know what I mean? Like, stop shaking! And, like... <laughs> Poor guy. But he did it with, uh, you know, uh, what would amount to a 15-year-old for zero complaints. I mean, for you and I, it would be complaining. But for a 15-year-old, pretty much zero complaints. You know what I mean? Yeah. And now he's ready to do the pump video. So this is great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Brooke Hoptu wrote in and said, Hey, I found a suspiciously cheap vacuum chamber sealer and wondering if you've ever heard of the unit before. And the, uh, gives a, a website to it. It's less than half of what I've seen other units for, so it feels like it's too good to be true. And I looked at it, and it looks too good to be true. Um, let me tell you, when you're looking at something, when you're looking at equipment, you never win. There's no winning in life. There is, like, various degrees of breaking even or losing. So if a piece of equipment costs... $2,000, let's say, and you find one that is $200, that doesn't jibe. So you can't, it's not going to be the same. They have done something somewhere that it's not going to be the same. So on this one, most likely it's the pump that's garbage. Uh, I have to go take a look because I looked at it a couple of weeks ago or when it, when it first came in. But like there's, you can go online now. Are you, are you guys familiar with the site Banggood? No. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so you go on Banggood and you can buy re on Banggood you can buy retail for from like Alibaba style stuff. But keep in mind what you're buying is non-guaranteed stuff direct from the factory that is 
ripping off somebody else. So like, you know, Nastasia and John and I work on a product for a bunch of years. Like we get it manufactured. We try to do our QC on it. We bring it in and then someone on Banggood will then knock it off without the QC, right? But also without the markup of having to pay for the years that we you know, spent trying to bring it to market and they'll sell things considerably cheaper from Banggood. Now you, I have ordered some stuff there that, you know, where I don't know the, you know, the original, you know, originators of it or who I'm ripping off. Like I've, I've gotten some RGB, very high powered, uh, RGB diode lasers off of them, um, and other things. And, you know, sometimes they work and eh, sometimes they don't. Uh, so like you can go on Banggood and you can buy a piece of equipment there and it is like half the price that you would expect to pay for uh, the equivalent uh, thing. And yeah, it's not going to work as well. It won't have instructions and there will be QC issues, but you can get something that will work. Uh, and this is the classic way now that people are buying things like uh, sugarcane juicers where there's no good supplier of sugarcane juicers in the U.S., right? All right. Uh, but you can't do a tenth of the price because what that means is they're just not using anything even close to the correct components. Now, will it work for you? Maybe. You know what I mean? Like maybe you don't need a good enough vacuum. Maybe you don't need the cycle time. Um, maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't catch on fire. I know that uh, Philip Preston bought an extremely cheap vacuum sealer once on um, – online as a distributor because he was thinking of distributing them and then uh he put uh a bunch of liquid into the thing as a test and it started smoking and caught fire so it's like <laughs> you know there's that so again it all it all depends uh was that a good answer did i answer enough no yeah yeah that seems pretty thorough you have five yeah. minutes yes right. i i answered matt hall's questions about non-venting pressure cookers right last week yes uh, I will say though, Dave, why would you advocate for people to buy things off that Banggood website if they're crap? Like if it's, I don't know, like think about everything that we went through with the knockoff Searsalls, you know, and you're just doing that to other companies. I'm not. I don't advocate ripping. I don't advocate ripping off people's intellectual property. There's a okay. lot of stuff on Banggood where, like I say, like it's not that there's intellectual property. They're doing like components, like diode lasers, right? And so, like you're like I'm. I, I've, I've only bought things like that off of them where there is no real U.S. source. You know what I mean? And it's not U.S., by the way. There's no, there's no sort of like QC company-backed source for it. So I'm not like – I'm not taking away – like one of the things that you'll notice on Banggood, and I don't buy those things, is anytime there's a successful Kickstarter, the people who do the Kickstarter, you know, um, has to find a factory – and then that factory will often sell the stuff on Banggood before the Kickstarter stuff is even fulfilled. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seen it happen all the time. And no, I won't support that stuff. I just, that's not a, it's not cool, right? Um, because in the, at the end of the day, that also um, destroys innovation, right? You're destroying innovation by doing that. There, you know, um, and if any of you are going to manufacture stuff, you have to be real hardcore about your factories, making sure that they, you have, um, documents in place to make sure that they don't steal your stuff. And that's kind of like a lot of what we do, right? Yeah. Yes. Is like making sure that they can't do that. Um, that's why when we get knockoffs, 
like either someone's broken an agreement, which has happened to us, or they're just making it wrong. You know what I mean? Like, like well, the thing we're talking about specifically is I think, and Nastasia, you also believe that we know who did one of the knockoff, did an actual knockoff with our name on it. And it throws off this black dandruff because they don't know how to make it right. And yeah, no, I, I don't support that at all. But, um, and in general, I think, you know, you should buy good quality stuff and, um, you know, and use it for a long time. But there's also, you know, the I need it once, I'm never going to need it again uh, diode laser problem. So, I mean, there's, there's a place for both. Fair. Does that answer your question, John? Yes, that's fair. Thank you. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, this is from Seth in Fairfax. Fairfax, Virginia? Hmm. I don't know. Uh, I have begun to take my backpacking meals more seriously and have begun to develop my own uh, dehydrated recipes, which are far more economical, customizable, and delicious. I generally do vegetable-based meals on the trail, but work in meat every few meals. My question, is it universally recommended uh, to first pressure cook chicken or buy canned chicken before dehydrating? Otherwise, it is notoriously hard to rehydrate. Since uh, you were working on your Miracle of Moisture Management book, I was wondering if you could share any insights into the safety or quality reasons this might be important. To achieve the highest quality dried chicken, I would have cooked sous vide. Can you recommend preparation of other proteins for the dehydrator that are either bland to add into anything or a great flavorful addition? I'm thinking of tofu, shrimp. Oh, dried shrimp is delicious because it's already been uh, lean sausage. That would be awesome. Uh, Thanks, Seth. Uh, I mean, uh, any of you guys have any experience with this, with the trail stuff? What about you, Ed? Anything? Uh, no, mostly just, I mean, dehydrating fruits, but, like, I don't know. I'm worried to give people dehydrating proteins advice because, you know, just I wouldn't know how to not make someone sick with that. Yeah, well, but think about it. If you're dehydrating, you salt it, right? This is a time, time-honored a time honored way to, to do things. The pressure cooking, means, yeah. I, yeah, well, the pressure cooking, though, on something like chicken, I think is going to accomplish two things. One, it's going to kill everything. Right, it's going to kill everything. Um, and secondly, um, because it is going to break apart the fibers and it's going to uh, let the um, water get out better, I think you stand a better shot of it dehydrating relatively quickly and perhaps making it easier to rehydrate because of the damage that you've done to the tissue in the, in the process of pressure cooking it. So a lot's going to depend on how you want to dehydrate something. So like if you just kind of stir some protein in, you could like even get floss. That'll rehydrate relatively quickly as opposed to something like jerky. But the ultimate that you should do, and if you, but if you have the money, I don't know what, what, you know, I don't know your life, right? But if you have the money, investing in, and they have them now for a lot cheaper than they used to be and a lot easier to use. I forget the name of it, but freeze drying is amazing because when you freeze dry, you can cook however you want, right? And then you freeze it. And then as it dehydrates, it maintains its, um, its, its physical shape. And because it maintains its physical shape, it has all that porosity. It's going to rehydrate that much better. Right. Uh, and so having done rehydrated uh, meats and sausages and whatnot out of a freeze dryer, I can say it works really, really well. And most of the people who are doing high quality proteins um, are using uh, freeze drying. And so it's relatively uh, labor intensive, but 
I mean, I think if you are going to do this, like, as you say, seriously, and you have the money, it might be a worthwhile investment. What do you guys think about that? No? No? Freeze-dried? I like freeze-dried. You ever put freeze-dried stuff into, uh, into ice cream? No. Have you, ever, have you ever done the Sam Mason trick of liquid nitrogen freezing things and stirring them in after the batch comes out? Yeah, like I have, I have tried that. I don't know if it's worth the, depending on what it is, I don't know if it's worth the effort to go and have just keeping liquid nitrogen on hand to do it. Can like just, it's, it's cool. It's certainly cool. I don't know how much better something's going to be. Well, I just like the chunks of, of uh, jelly, like those weird chunks of jelly he can get that way. You know what I mean? As opposed to a swirl, you know? Yeah, I mean, you can get the same effect by like just like stabilizing something really heavily and then freezing it, I feel like, but uh, maybe not. Yeah. I don't know. Same thing like I love about Sam. He's always has these weird virtuoso tricks. All right, so wait. So uh, Jake Odlum wrote in and wants to know uh, if I'm adding lime juice after carbonating a drink, why clarify the juice? Because otherwise you're going to lose bubbles faster. Uh, do a side-by-side test and you will see that. Now, now for the rest of the time until they rip us off, we're not going to do a classics in the air. What do you Give us some ice cream stuff. Because uh, before we went on the show, I said, I said, Give us the pitch on Milk Cult and what you're working on. He's like, do you want the 30-second pitch or the 20-minute pitch? Well, now we're, we're in between. Do you have any other projects or anything you're working on, anything you want to say about ice cream while we're, while we're on the back end of our show? Oh, yeah, two things. So we're launching two new mini Klondike bar products um, in the Mid-Atlantic and Northeast region, and they're called Dippy Boys. They're like little snack-sized Klondike bars. And yeah, they've been working on them for like a year. Finally got all of our packaging and everything in. They'll roll out like end of August, beginning of fall. And um, that's our, you know, it's my dumb product placement. Um, and the other thing for... Them? Oh, how do you, so how do you we, dip them before you go on? We pour, we pour ice cream base the same way we would with our ice cream sandwiches, but we don't. We just pour it into regular molds and then cut it up on an air-powered cutting machine and then enrobe them in. One is enrobed in like a hibiscus, it's, like a, it's a macroot lime ice cream enrobed in hibiscus with a hibiscus shell and uh, an orange blossom candied rice bottom. And the other one is vanilla ice cream with a candied potato chip and chocolate shell. Ah, now let me ask you this. Are you using like a, a chocolate enrobing, like a modified chocolate enrobing machine? So we are just enrobing them like in a big batch right now, and we are probably going to have to purchase an enrober sometime this fall because we're, the volume we're going to do is we'll just kill ourselves if we don't get an enrober like an like an enrober with a um, with a moving uh, tray yeah, conveyor enrobers. conveyor belt. Yeah, those you ever used one? They're amazing. Yeah, they're awesome. They're really yeah. cool. They are amazing. But they're like I can ten sit there grand. And watch so. that. They're like yeah, 10 but for grand, ten so grand, we'll... you, you you never need to watch the intro to Willy Wonka again because you just watch it. You just watch the stuff flowing over the product. It's amazing. I love them. So that and the only other thing I want to plug is I found out this past year somebody I was doing work for somebody else and uh, Cuisine Tech sells a sorbet stabilizer, um, but they don't print that it's not vegan. I think it's Cremadan 
It's like 32 or 64, and I, they've been selling it to a lot of restaurants, and they don't always print that it contains gelatin and some other animal-based stabilizers. And so for I guess that's for general people's knowledge is there's nothing wrong with it, but they sell it as a sorbet stabilizer. We've I've never used it, but I was helping somebody else who used it, and I was like, hey, you know this has gelatin in it, animal gelatin. And they're kind of like, oh, and they just kind of – so that's just for – public information for people. Huh, a lot of people use Cremadan. This the uh, FCI used to use Cremadan. Yeah, but it's not I mean it's great. I mean it works, but you know, like there's nothing wrong with it, but it does contain animal gelatin. So for just for people to huh. know. And they don't print it. Before we're done, so you're dipping with dipping forks like with those little like 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 swirly looking things or with the tines like you're actually like old school doing it? Yeah, we're old school. It, it's there's so many things about our business that's horrible. I mean in terms of, but like, you know, when we have the money, we upgrade. So like probably next two months, we'll be getting a full enrobing machine. I would not wish hand dipping on my worst enemy. Oh yeah, it's bad. <laughs> do, do, do you have to put a wafer underneath it or are you counting on the, on the drip and then you get just, you get a certain level of float when you put it down on whatever you're drying it on that the yeah, other side's Yeah, we, okay. we have a, we have an okay enough, we have an okay enough way of doing it right now that like it just kind of works until we get a full enrober. oh my god hand dipping oh jesus now are, are you using some sort of like homemade magic shell variant or is it actually like a straighter coating or like can you talk it's about a, the technology it's a pretty, of the coating it's pretty basic we do a one-to-one we use ticho chocolate which i really love um and uh cocoa butter solids uh, for the chocolate dip. And then for the hibiscus, um, my partner worked on that recipe. So it, I think it's, um, I can't remember what we're doing for that, but it's, um, it's a cocoa butter solids and, um, I can't, it's vegan, but I can't remember what we're doing for that. Cause he's been working on that recipe, but for our regular chocolate shell, it's really simple. It's just one-to-one, um, high quality dark chocolate and cocoa butter solids. Now, whenever you're dipping something, I mean, like, it seems like a lot could go wrong, right? Because if your centers are too cold, it will, you'll have a, an issue with dipping. But if you melt into your chocolate at all, that'll cause lots of other problems. So is that a hard line to get right? It's just like a workflow. It's just like getting a good workflow going, like having a large water bath, large warm water bath going, and and as long as we're working at a good pace, it just continues to go okay. Um, but like it took a lot of uh, just like really, really super frustrating sessions to you know get things going well. So you messed up a lot of centers and messed up a lot of uh, shell. Yes, gigantic mess, losing product. It's just nightmare. Yeah, this is a, a lot of things are actually like that. Like, uh, do any of you guys remember Wiley, uh, Wiley Dufresne's old, uh, like, um, fake egg? It was like a carrot, something, uh, yolk, and then like a coconut milk, like white. And it was all, it looked exactly like an egg. And he used to publish the recipe and people were like, it doesn't work. But it's like, nah, really, like, the first hundred you make suck. And then the next, like, 15,000 you make are fine. You know what I mean? Because you got to get into the zone of the production. There's like some, there's some physical getting your hands used to it. So you're saying dipping the ice cream is not only, is it not only a technical issue getting all the variables right and doing it continuously, but also just getting your hands used to the process so you know what you're doing? Yeah, I think it's actually more of a workflow because like the recipe doesn't change too much. It's just, 
it's just movement and temperature control with your product. And then it's, it's like what you said, it becomes easier when you're doing a thousand of them than when you're trying to figure everything out and just do, um, you know, 50. Yeah, yeah. We got to bounce. All right, so on the way out, I will say this. Uh, shout out to the French Culinary, International Culinary Center. Uh, any, anyone who is uh, an alum or a former teacher, um, we said on air a couple of weeks ago that unfortunately they're, uh, you know, closing, the, and, you know, the curriculum and whatnot got bought by uh, the Institute for Culinary Education, ICE. Um, but... They very graciously uh, donated, uh, Eric Mernigan there very graciously donated uh, their library to the Museum of Food and Drink. So what John and I will be doing tomorrow is driving a big old uh, CNC. Uh, for those of you that don't know, anyone who needs to kind of rent cheaply and brutally here in New York a truck, we, where do we go, Stas? CNC. Wait, you guys should stop by my place. We should talk to John about John, it. do it. No. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, and Dave, can we he's like, no, I got to talk to my family. No, 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 I'm not coming. We're I mean, packing we up. park a box truck on your lawn, then yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Oh, that'd be the best. Yeah. Stas can go look at the... Anyway, so we, we're, we're taking the library up, and we just saw it was very... It was, it was sad seeing, seeing like, all of that stuff getting broken down. Uh you know, Stas, you would have it would have been good for you to see it too. Like it's a, I mean, it's still there. It's there on the. It used to be like four or five floors, and they're keeping the the upper floor. But like where the library was and stuff is closed down. The amphitheater. Remember that bar, Stas, that was from Lutes, that zinc bar that we used to serve all those yeah. drinks behind at events. Yeah. So that's being donated to the museum. We're taking that. Um, so anyway, so it's good that we can preserve some of this stuff uh, for the museum. But anyway, that's what John and I will be doing tomorrow and may or may not be stopping by Stanford. Maybe we'll throw the rod in the water, see if we can catch some stripers. I'll tell you when high tide is, yeah. yeah. And uh, Ed, thanks so much. Please check out, where where can you buy these, uh, what are they called? Uh, dipping Boys? What are they called? Boy dip- Dippy Boys. Uh, they'll, they'll probably be at the um, parks in New York. They'll be at the Parks of Food Co-op, I'm guessing. They're a pretty good customer of ours. But, you know, just like... Um, independent grocers between D.C. and Connecticut. All right, so look out for Dippy Boys starting when? Uh, September. They'll roll out. And, and, and you have it for the, you have the vegan ones and then you have the milky-based ones, right? That is correct. Thanks, man. So even though it's called Milk Cult, he's got all your vegan needs covered as well. Hey, you know, got, got to look after people, you know. Yeah, so milk, milk written large. Milk in the sense of good mouthfeel not necessarily comes out of cow. Yes, correct. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. We'll see you soon. Cooking Issues. Cooking Issues is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.